Today is the 19th day of February. Welcome to the Daily Audio Bible. I am Brian. It is wonderful to be here with you today, gathered around the global campfire, wherever we may be. I am coming to you once again from the city of Jerusalem. We will be departing for Tel Aviv and boarding a giant airplane and flying across oceans back to our home in the United States. Today, we concluded our tour of the land of the Bible for 2023 uh, last evening. What a beautiful, beautiful time that was. What a beautiful day. What a hard day, but what a beautiful day. We'll talk about that in a bit. But we are here to take the next step forward in the scriptures. And that next step forward will lead us back into the book of Leviticus. We've got a brand new week, so we will read from the New Living Translation this week. And today, Leviticus chapter 7, verse 28 through 9, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you present a peace offering to the Lord, bring part of it as a gift to the Lord. Present it to the Lord with your own hands as a special gift to the Lord. Bring the fat of the animal together with the breast and lift up the breast as a special offering to the Lord. And the priest will burn the fat on the altar, but the breast will belong to Aaron and his descendants. Give the right thigh of your peace offering to the priest as a gift. The right thigh must always be given to the priest who offers the blood and the fat of the peace offering. For I have reserved the breast of the special offering and the right thigh of the sacred offering for the priests. It is the permanent right of Aaron and his descendants to share in the peace offering brought by the people of Israel. This is their rightful share. The special gifts presented to the Lord have been reserved for Aaron and his descendants from the time they were set apart to serve the Lord as priests. On the day they were appointed, the Lord commanded the Israelites to give these portions to the priests as their permanent share from generation to generation. These are the instructions for the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering, as well as the ordination offering and the peace offering. The Lord gave these instructions to Moses on Mount Sinai when he commanded the Israelites to present their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. Then the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron and his sons, along with their sacred garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams, and the basket of bread made without yeast, and call the entire community of Israel together at the entrance of the tabernacle. So Moses followed the Lord's instructions, and the whole community assembled at the tabernacle entrance. Moses announced to them, This is what the Lord has commanded us to do. 
Then he presented Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. He put the official tunic on Aaron and tied the sash around his waist. He dressed him in the robe, placed the ephod on him, and attached the ephod securely with its decorative sash. Then Moses placed the chest piece on Aaron and put the urim and the thummim inside it. He placed the turban on Aaron's head and attached the gold medallion, the badge of holiness, to the front of the turban, just as the Lord had commanded him. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it, making them holy. He sprinkled the oil on the altar seven times, anointing it and all its utensils, as well as the wash basin and its stand, making them holy. Then he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head, anointing him and making him holy for his work. Next, Moses presented Aaron's sons. He clothed them in their tunics, tied their sashes around them, and put their special head coverings on them, just as the Lord had commanded him. Then Moses presented the bull for the sin offering. Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the bull's head, and Moses slaughtered it. Moses took some of the blood, and with his finger he put it on the four horns of the altar to purify it. He poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. Through this process, he made the altar holy by purifying it. Then Moses took all the fat around the internal organs, the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and the fat around them, and he burned it all on the altar. He took the rest of the bull, including its hide, meat, and dung, and burned it on a fire outside the camp, just as the Lord had commanded him. Then Moses presented the ram for the burnt offering. Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the ram's head, and Moses slaughtered it. And Moses took the ram's blood and splattered it against all sides of the altar. And he cut the ram into pieces, and he burned the head, some of its pieces, and the fat on the altar. After washing the internal organs and the legs with water, Moses burned the entire ram on the altar as a burnt offering. It was a pleasing aroma, a special gift presented to the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded him. Then Moses presented the other ram, which was the ram of ordination. Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the ram's head, and Moses slaughtered it. Then Moses took some of its blood and applied it to the lobe of Aaron's right ear, the thumb of his right hand, and the big toe of his right foot. Next, Moses presented Aaron's sons and applied some of the blood to the lobes of their right ears, the thumbs of their right hands, and the big toes of their right feet. He then splattered the rest of the blood against all sides of the altar. Next, Moses took the fat, including the fat of the broad tail, the fat around the internal organs, the long lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys and the fat around them, along with the right thigh. On top of these, he placed a thin cake of bread made without yeast, a cake of bread mixed with olive oil, and a wafer spread with olive oil. 
All these were taken from the basket of bread made without yeast that was placed in the Lord's presence. He put all these in the hands of Aaron and his sons, and he lifted these gifts as a special offering to the Lord. Moses then took all the offerings back from them and burned them on the altar on top of the burnt offering. This was the ordination offering. It was a pleasing aroma, a special gift presented to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and lifted it up as a special offering to the Lord. This was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination, just as the Lord had commanded him. Next, Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood that was on the altar, and he sprinkled them on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments. In this way, he made Aaron and his sons and their garments holy. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the remaining meats of the offerings at the tabernacle entrance and eat it there, along with the bread that is in the basket of offerings for the ordination, just as I commanded when I said, Aaron and his sons will eat it. Any meat or bread that is left over must then be burned up. You must not leave the tabernacle entrance for seven days, for that is when the ordination ceremony will be completed. Everything we have done today was commanded by the Lord in order to purify you, making you right with Him. Now stay at the entrance of the tabernacle day and night for seven days and do everything the Lord requires. If you fail to do this, you will die, for this is what the Lord has commanded. So Aaron and his sons did everything the Lord had commanded through Moses. After the ordination ceremony, on the eighth day, Moses called together Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. He said to Aaron, Take a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without defects, and present them to the Lord. Then tell the Israelites, Take a male goat for a sin offering and take a calf and a lamb both a year old and without defects, for a burnt offering. Also take a bull and a ram for a peace offering and flour moistened with olive oil for a grain offering. Present all these offerings to the Lord because the Lord will appear to you today. So the people presented all these things at the entrance of the tabernacle, just as Moses had commanded. Then the whole community came forward and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded you to do, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Mark 3, 31-4, Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus and someone said, Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, Who is my mother? 
who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, Look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling them many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen. A farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. And he said, Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Later, when Jesus was alone with the twelve disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they would turn to me and be forgiven. And Jesus said to them, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Then Jesus asked them, Would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open, and every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Then he added, Pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. 
important, you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Psalm 37, 12 through 29. The wicked plot against the godly. They snarl at them in defiance, but the Lord just laughs, for he sees their day of judgment coming. The wicked draw their swords and string their bows to kill the poor and the oppressed to slaughter those who do right. But their swords will stab their own hearts and their bows will be broken. It is better to be godly and have little than to be evil and rich. For the strength of the wicked will be shattered, but the Lord takes care of the godly. Day by day, the Lord takes care of the innocent and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. They will not be disgraced in hard times. Even in famine, they will have more than enough. But the wicked will die. The Lord's enemies are like flowers in a field. They will disappear like smoke. The wicked borrow and never repay. But the godly are generous givers. Those the Lord blesses will possess the land, but those he curses will die. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Once I was young, and now I am old. Yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. The godly always give generous loans to others, and their children are a blessing. Turn from evil and do good, and you will live in the land forever. For the Lord loves justice, and he will never abandon the godly. He will keep them safe forever, but the children of the wicked will die. The godly will possess the land and will live there forever. Proverbs 10, 5 A wise youth harvests in summer, but one who sleeps during harvest is a disgrace Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for bringing us into another shiny, sparkly new week. A week of transition back for us who are here in Israel, transitioning back into different time zones and different parts of the earth and different cities and different homes and different contexts. And we thank you for everything, Father. We thank you for everything, all that we've been able to see and experience here and all that we get to see and experience every day in your word. 
So we just pray over all of the travel, all of the flights, all of the different journeys that go all of the different places back. But we also pray over the entire community because we are all on a journey together, the journey through this year, the journey through the Bible. And so wherever we are on our journey, thank you for leading us and directing us and guiding us and being patient with us and loving us. We love you. We worship you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so our final day on our journey here in the land of the Bible was centered in Jerusalem and was uh, really centered around the final days of Jesus in Jerusalem. And of course, we know what those final days looked like. And so we were visiting the different places that represent those final days, immersing ourselves in the story of our salvation and allowing it to become real to us in the places that it happened. So we were able to visit the upper room, a place that has been commemorated and and visited for well for millennia nearly millennia for about 1750 years and the, the room that that's there now is definitely from like crusader era and has crusader architecture but they have like at the bedrock of this building they have found christian graffiti so it goes way way back so we visited the upper room, certainly um, a place where it is believed Jesus and his disciples probably had their last supper together. Also the place where they were gathering and waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. So a pretty remarkable place to visit in and of itself. It's always kind of busy, but visiting that, uh, seeing that, appreciating what that represents... Um, very, very important. Uh, we also went to the quarters of the high priest that have been discovered here in Jerusalem. And, and there's uh, a lot of these places are, are guarded by different churches and have been for, well, for millennia. They have been for a very, very long time. And so there is a church there. Because the quarters of the high priest represents in the story of Jesus' last days, Jesus losing his freedom, being um, bound in, in the Garden of Gethsemane and carried back across the, well, walking back across the Kidron Valley and then up into the quarters of the high priest where he was questioned and ridiculed and mocked and spit upon and abused and the dungeons below, because there's many layers, archaeology is always layers. And so you start at the top where you are now, and some of these places you go down into different layers of the different existences of whatever the building was. And so the storage areas and cisterns and stuff uh, are, still, are still viewable, even 
you can go down into them. And that is, that's tough. That's a tough place for me. It, it like on paper, it doesn't, it, it, like there's other places that could be more challenging or whatever, but that place is hard for me personally because I just, it, Jesus, the man who had been abandoned by everybody being tied up downstairs while all of the planning and stuff with the Roman, like how they're going to pull this off and get rid of Jesus. And just thinking of him sitting there silently, waiting, praying, waiting, knowing what's coming. That's, that's difficult. And then to be able to go out and the ancient steps kind of leading up into that complex, they're still there and they're from the time of Jesus. And Jesus would have come up the Kidron Valley tied up and had to walk up those stairs into these, well, into the complex for the high priest. That's, that's remarkable. Remarkable to think Jesus walked here, but he didn't just walk here. He, like, he walked here on his way to the cross. That's, that's powerful. We also moved to the walls of Jerusalem. There are a number of places that scholars over, over time have been trying to, you know, re-piece back together ancient Jerusalem in the time of Jesus. And that's a job because it's been built up since then. And so to get back to that era, things have to be destroyed. And it's a big, bustling, crowded, congested, tense city. But lots of things have been discovered and reconstructed and so we were able to go outside the walls and just view the um, the steps that are likely the ones that that Jesus not only went up but came back down, having been sentenced to die, having been beaten, having been sentenced to crucifixion, and he would have picked up his cross and carried it and. So being in a place where this is happening and understanding that he carried his cross from here on his way to Golgotha, yeah, it's hard to, I'm, I'm struggling even now to describe it. Part of that is just the fatigue of the trip, but part of it is how do you put that into words? It's some of the things, you can describe them, but they are beyond words as they settle in, into into our hearts. This is a place like that for me. Uh, we had some lunch in the markets, but we also visited the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And so, the likely um, tomb of Jesus, a lot is contained within that church, and it is a bit overwhelming. And there are pilgrims there from all over the world also reaching for the experience of the moment because it's a tomb that's empty. It's a tomb that, that the person that was laid in that tomb didn't stay dead. So we're talking about the most important event in human history and how to represent that and how to display it and how to approach it and, and just seeing all of the artwork and all of the ornate, like so many things don't feel like a personal thing, but they, 
It's the artwork of the ages trying to explain, like to trying to reach and touch this moment, this moment of resurrection that represents the salvation of everyone. It's powerful, powerful stuff. Uh, if you approach it that way, and it's also off-putting and disruptive in another way, because it's just such a mixture of people and their experiences from so many cultures over such a long period of time. But, but great. Just fantastic to be back and be able to witness it again and tell the story once again. We also uh, went up on top of the Mount of Olives and made our way down. Got a picture up there. It's the quintessential view of Jerusalem. And so important, such an important biblical landmark, such an important uh, location that, that we know Jesus was. And so we walked down the Mount of Olives. Uh, we went to Dominus Flevit. This is a place really that, uh, well, Jesus stopped on the Mount of Olives and he looked down on the city and the temple was there and it was beautiful and he wept over Jerusalem that the day of all people should have known the way to peace but that they were not willing and how he longed to gather them like like a hen gathers her chicks but they weren't willing and it's just a heartbreaking moment where it just wasn't how it was supposed to be and Jesus wept over over the the situation and then did something about it by stepping through and drinking the cup and dying for us. So we looked at that, spent a few minutes there, moved down to the Garden of Gethsemane where we had an opportunity to have a, have a moment, have some quiet moments in the middle of a really, really bustling, busy area that all kinds of people are trying to get to. Just have a few minutes to consider these olive trees and consider our Lord coming into the garden and praying and centering himself. And even such humanity, asking God, like, is, is there another way? Asking his friends to stay awake and tarry with him. And then just imagining the mob, some kind of, he just torches and rattling and chains and talking and looking for Jesus. And then Jesus betrayed with a kiss. And his freedom was taken from him there. Uh, never to be given back. He would, he would walk all the way through until the cross. And that is, that is special as well. All of these places, I mean, I'm, my words are failing me. Uh, special is an understatement by far. We also want to um, end our journey to another more, more um, picturesque place called Gord Gordon's Calvary, the Garden Tomb. It's the view that we see mostly on postcards and stuff like that. And that is also a beautiful place to go uh, because it really does give us um, the feeling that we're looking for the, the sense of awe and the magnitude 
There's also some space there for us just to be and just discuss our final stop and discuss what we've been through together and to participate in communion together and end, end our journey together. It's so moving. It's so bittersweet. Uh, We've been through so much together and it's hard to to end even though it's time. It's hard. And then from there to uh, our farewell dinner where we will we're able to have a, a meal together, a really beautiful, lovely setting, beautiful meal together. And just to hear from one another and to relive some of the experiences through each other's eyes and just hear each other's hearts as we prepared well, to end. And from there, a number of of us uh, were straight to the airport while others of us are are moving in that direction now and today. And, and so we're all kind of in between and will be for the next several days. But thank you for your prayers over the immediate travel. So many people going so many places on so many flights uh, to get back to all of our cities and arrive back at all of our homes. Thank you for your prayers. As we travel home, we love you. We appreciate that. We appreciate covering this in prayer. And we thank you for just coming along virtually and being here with us. I I wish that were possible that we could all be here. I just wish it could, but we can do it the way that we can do it. And uh, so thank you for being along on this journey. I've got you safe in my suitcase and we'll all get home safely if we pray. And let's, let's, let's do that. I think I'm out of things to say. North, south, east, west, and right down the middle, we toured the land and saw it again. And it's a beautiful land. It's a land where God revealed himself and the scriptures happened. And uh, it's been really, really beautiful to be here. And the next step forward is to come home and come home full and live what we have learned. And so uh, that is it. That is it for today. I am Brian. I love you, and I will be waiting for you here tomorrow. Hello, this is Rob from British Columbia. I'm just uh, thinking and praying for Webster in Tennessee, who shared on February 8th that uh, he considered himself to be a logical person, but looked around and seemed to be surrounded by people with faith, and that he had prayed for several years to have a deeper faith and a relationship with God. Uh, I myself have wished for that more would move from my head to my heart. And so Webster, I want to thank you for your... Hello, my name is Steve. I'm from Northern California. And I just heard a prayer request from a woman who I don't believe she left her name, but said she was in Southern Florida. I just wanted to reach out to you because you talked about your daughter, Sarah, who's 34 years old. 
single, living alone, and struggling. Your prayer request really hit me because I also have a daughter. My wife and I uh, work with her off and on, and she now lives with us. She is married and has some kids, and overall is doing very well, but she's had several breakdowns over the years, and symptoms which you described are very similar, period. I just want to let you know you're not alone, that we can relate to what you're going through, and that we will be praying for you. We will be praying for Sarah. And uh, the th best thing I can think of is get her into therapy. That's what we're doing with our daughter, and I think that could help tremendously to get to the bottom of what's going on. So please know, again, that you're not alone and that we will be praying for you. Hi, Daily Audio Bible family. Um, I just want to say just thank you, everybody, for just everything, for the prayers that you prayed for other people and just even the prayers for me. I appreciate... Um, I think his name is Daniel in South Carolina. Uh, I really appreciate him. Thank you for your prayers for me. Um, and I just thank you for what you wrote, too. That was amazing. Praise God. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, um, I hope you guys are having a blessed day. And just remember, I'm always praying for you guys. God bless you. Love you. Hi, everybody. This is his show, Jenna, here. Just um, first of all, it's Happy New Year. It's a little bit late, but alas, it's never too late. And I uh, hope you guys are all doing so, so well. Quick update. So I'm back home with my mum following her kind of uh, health scare in August. She's doing much better. And I'm so grateful to be able to support her here. And uh, more specifically, I'm really coming today to ask you all to pray for my my ex-housemate. Uh, he grew up as a Christian, but then kind of lost his way in his late teens, early 20s. And from conversations with him, his viewpoint is that Jesus was a real person, but um, was killed and rather than sacrificed due to the evil nature of mankind. And um, really just praying that his heart will be softened that his, the scales would be removed from his eyes and that he would have a personal encounter with God that cannot be denied. Um, really praying that he will have a road to Damascus experience even as Paul did and his life changed. And even as I'm praying this for my, for my housemate who's in his early 30s, I really want to extend this prayer point to um, just young people, you know, young adults who have gone, either gone astray um, from God, from their childhood, or didn't know God in the first place. I pray, really praying that that these individuals across the world, wherever continent they find themselves or country they're in, that they would have a personal encounter with God, that they will be able to see the beauty of God, even as the book of Romans talks about that, you know, that creation speaks of God, that young adults, old adults around the world will be able to see God and surrender to him and give, live their lives for him, even as we know that it's not just a matter of this life, but also eternity. So thank you guys so much in advance. God bless and speak to you soon. Bye for now. God. Good morning, Daily Audio Bible. This is Laura Lee in Boynton Beach. Many of you have heard me call in about a woman named Catherine. Uh, she came to stay with me last May. God led me to her in the woods. 
extreme alcoholic, extreme. She's drinking hand sanitizer now in copious amounts. Um, she left and is hospitalized regularly. I brought her home with me in December. She learned and was thirsty for God. I believe she was saved in May. I could be wrong, but Lord, I just pray she's out there somewhere again and hospitalized within a week of being out of anywhere. Lord, I don't know what your plans are, but I know they're good. She cried out to you in May. I believe you made her your child. Only you know the future. Her body's in great bondage, Lord, but you have freed her and in your mercy. I do not know what you will do, but I know it's good. So Lord, I just pray for her family. They live in New Zealand. If you have any, any New Zealanders listening, please pray for Catherine Brown, Mary and John Cubitt, and Sarah Wright. Those are her family who are so far away and are so used to this, but I haven't given up hope. In Jesus' name, amen.